So we just always start with a conversation, and you can ignore it as it trundles along. You and Allie are going to talk. Well, we talk, and then okay. you and I talk. Allie's not here. So there we go. Okay. We're going. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? How are you? Good. Do you want to tell everyone your name? My name, I'm Lily Wilson Schlaga. Okay. So I have three names because I kept my maiden name when I got married. Do you hyphenate or is it just no, your middle? No, it's just one. It's Yeah, it's three separate names. Okay. Um, I might hyphenate eventually, but now that I have a son and his last name is Schlaga, yeah. I like having it separate so that we have the same last name. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, my mom, um, she was married, widowed. So my sister has that father's last name. And so going through school, it was like, and then she remarried and had me. Mm-hmm. And so she was always had a different name than her daughter. Yeah. Like her other daughter. Yeah. So. I just like the idea of having the same last name as him. Yeah. You know. I, I always talk to people, especially like women that like have a lot of career aspirations. Yeah. What they decide to do with their name. It's It was a tough decision in a way. I hadn't thought that much about it yeah. before I got married. And then when we got married, we were actually on our way, on the flight back from our honeymoon back to the United States, and I was like, I have to go change my name. <laughs> and it was kind of a weird thing, but I'm glad that I did it the way that I did it, so I kept Wilson, which was my name growing up, and right. my name all through... Whatever, your other every degrees. Career. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly, all my other degrees and careers and um, work experience. People knew me as a Wilson, and then, but now, I have the same last name as my husband and son, so I like that, too. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It is a, it is a thing, though. It's yeah. Like a, well, it's like, so, like, my black belt's sitting over there. We're in my bedroom today, and um, <laughs> we just record all over the place. But, like, on one side, it says R. Manella, because, like, yeah. that's my name. So, and my good friend and I, we always talk about this, and she's like, your black belt has your last name on it. All your degrees are going to have your last name. Yeah. Okay. So I had already had a lot of, I had done a lot of yeah, living everything. as a Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that I think was part of it, part of it too. If I had right. gotten married 10 years prior, for example, yeah. I wouldn't I maybe have cared as much, but. Right. So. Yeah. You were like established. Yeah. I suppose. Did your husband care one way or the other? No. 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 And his last name, Schlaga, S-Z-L-A-G-A. Is hard for a lot of people to pronounce. Yeah, um, that S Z kind of throws people. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, kind of had you know tells. He was me, like, "Can I be a Wilson?" Yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. And I'll his take bro- your name, honey. His brother actually, who's an artist, said, "You know, keep Wilson. Just it's so much easier." Yeah. Um, but. That's funny. Yeah, no. So it worked out. So now we all have the same last name, but I kept Wilson. So. Yeah. That's cool. I yeah. Mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is funny, especially with women talking about that in the United States. It is. I just listened to something about this, um, a, another podcast, a uh, history podcast about revolutionary America and basically how uh, even back then it was a decision, a, a, a more complicated decision than we would imagine oh, okay. for women in the 18th century yeah. and, and even earlier than that, you know. Wow. So it's really, names are fascinating, yeah. you know? Um, so my husband and I think a lot about that and talk a lot about that. Um, <laughs> so anyways, yeah. My dad was um, had, has friends from like the 60s and stuff and like mm-hmm. radicals in Arbor and all that. And mm-hmm. um, there was one woman I met once who her daughters had her last name and the sons had the husband's last name. Oh, wow. So they were like, they were married and stuff, not, and so like all that, but then... 
yeah, when they had their children, it was like the daughters had the matrilineal name and the sons had the patrilineal name. Well, it is interesting. It is very, it's all very interesting in how certain ethnic groups um, are still matrilineal in terms of the bloodline. Right. But in terms of naming, it is patriarchal. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I, there's so much, yeah, there's actually a lot, but it fascinates me about that. But, um, <laughs> I always felt bad for the kids whose names were hyphenated. Yes. Because I was just like, that's so lo- much and that's so long. Yes. And it's like, just pick one. Yeah. You know? I, well, and that's and why we did it. was my, hyphenate. like, my I totally it, agree. You know? and, uh, my best friend growing up had a hyphenated name, a short name and then a longer name. Yeah. Kind of like if we had hyphenated my son's name. Um, we didn't do, that was just, yeah. that was, that was way too much for him. That right. I would never, I don't need to do that. Yeah. It's just like really a professional decision more than anything else. I always wonder if we get the last names from the fathers because like we know, like if traditionally if you're like giving birth, you know, it's your child. Oh yeah. But like to give the father's <laughs> name, like, you know, it guarantees that that's required. Like when sure. you think about, um, Descendants and like money and things like Absolutely. that, and higher level society. Absolutely, and they have to like well claim them yeah. and give them their name. They're not like a bastard or whatever. Yes, but I think that that's yeah where that comes from. It's, like we know it's our baby if we're having a baby. Ab- oh yes, you know, you <laughs> yeah. definitely There's know. No question. There is no question. But but dad's job is a little different in that situation. Yeah. So it so it's not as uh, for sure. I mean, it's biologically, yeah. it's not as certain. I right. Guess. Right. I mean, um, now we we know we can do tests, but like you know, but you back then, do that. no, yeah, really no. before the what in the last nineties, I don't even know. Even? Yeah. I'm sure they could do it before that, but it probably wasn't available to the mainstream until right. Yeah, you didn't know we were going to talk about this, did you? I had no That's idea. I, like, I will talk about anything with yeah. anyone, yeah. so no, this I is like totally that. fitting. I, you ask me anything <laughs> about birth, whatever, I will go there too. You want to talk? <laughs> oh my god! You want to talk about anything? I will talk about it. Well, one thing I want to talk about yeah. was your PhD candidate now. That's right. Yeah. But before you went to grad school, you had like a, you lived a life. You had a job. Oh yeah. Before, because you didn't go straight through. Right. So and I had to have a job because my dad made it very clear when I was <laughs> when I was done with college and even before that that there was no you no yeah nope, no help coming no. Nope. So um, when I yep I graduated from. Uh, from Syracuse University in 2005. Okay. Um, and I had my bachelor's degree in art history and a double degree in journalism. Oh, okay. So I was kind of un- not totally certain what I wanted to do with that. Yeah. So I did some writing, and then I went and got a master's in art history in, at American University in D.C. Okay. And before I finished that degree, actually, I got hired... Uh, as a coordinator for a volunteer program at the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. So I worked at the Smithsonian, and I also, prior to that, during my degree, um, worked as a gallery educator at the Phillips Collection in D.C. So I did some, um, I did a lot of, like, gallery education and a lot of volunteer management for those jobs um, and loved it. Loved both of those things. Fun, so much fun, fascinating work. Loved working with people. Mm-hmm. Loved working in museum setting. I mean, you're in the most some of the most beautiful places. You know, um, did you just see the jobs listed somewhere and you're like, oh, I can do that? Okay. Or how'd you get into that? Yeah, the good question. Um, so, with my internship at the Phillips Collection, which then kind of turned into um, 
a few years of me working as a gallery educator, basically as a docent. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who had the internship the year prior, and she mentioned it to me. She was mm-hmm. in my graduate program. And she um, she said it was a great experience. Apply. I applied, interviewed, got got the internship, and then just kind of stayed. They couldn't yeah. get rid of me. <laughs> so I stayed and worked as a gallery educator once the internship was done. And kept doing that for the rest of the time that I lived in D.C., even when I was working full-time at the Smithsonian. Uh, for the Smithsonian job, it was a much longer process yeah. because it's a, it was a federal position. So USAjobs.gov uh-huh. um, is where any, you know, that's where you have to go to apply for that stuff. And the process was a little different, I think, than it is now. Mm. There were these questions you had to answer, which oh, okay. weren't, like, always 100% clear why they were asking you these questions. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I applied and about six months later, believe it or not, six months, Yeah, they had gone through all the, pro- you know, the process of vetting all these candidates and I was a, fi- a finalist and I went and had an interview and then uh, I think I waited even longer, maybe okay. months longer. And then I finally got a call that I'd got the job wow. and I was thrilled. Yeah. I was packing my bags ready to move back to Michigan because mm-hmm. I didn't, I really didn't. So you're from Michigan. From Michigan. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so I, you know, it was a, it was a really nice surprise Yeah. Uh, cause I wanted to stay in DC, but I couldn't stay there without a job. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, it worked out. It worked out great. Um, I did some curriculum writing in the in-between time mm-hmm. while I was kind of waiting to hear. Okay. Um, I worked for like an online, uh, education company okay. where they do online lessons for high school students. Mm-hmm. So I wrote their art history lessons. Oh, okay. Um, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah. that's what I did in DC and it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I don't, you know, think a lot about how it shaped my current work, except for just giving me that really cool experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but lately, uh, I have been thinking about how it's so relevant because of the work that I'm doing with the clinic. Yeah. And that volunteer management. Right. That's work, what I was thinking when you said that. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. It's it's amazing how, you know, I really kind of have always had this idea, like, just cast a wide net mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever comes back to you, right? Yeah. That's what, you're, that's what you're meant to be doing. And you kind of look back, you know, I look back on the last maybe 10 years and I'm like, okay, this worked out, you know, maybe there was some struggle or I had a hard time figuring out why at the time. Right. But it 100% now I can look back and say, you know, this, I'm right where I need to be now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, um, with my work with the clinic, with the Humanities Clinic at Maine State, I have applied a lot of that knowledge that I gained as a volunteer coordinator Mm -hmm. at the Smithsonian managing a lot of volunteers. Yeah. Um, and this was less than probably what you did there, like the oh, number of people. Absolutely. Yeah. So the pro- the program that I helped manage at the Smithsonian was about a figure, for some reason, 1,700 comes to mind. Whoa. It was about 1,700. And I worked with That's an, wild. yeah, I worked with an amazing uh, coordinator who was in charge. She yeah. was my supervisor, my direct supervisor. She was amazing, a great mentor. Mm-hmm. She had been um, at it for several years before she was um she was great so I've had a lot of really awesome women mentors in my life which is and that continues to this day with my current my advisor now and um the chair of our history department right um and other women faculty in the department who have mentored me and been 
really encouraging. Yeah. And I can say that that's a thread that's gone all the way through my career is just having remarkable women Mm -hmm. encouraging me and showing me that they've done it. Right. They've done whatever I was trying to do and that there's no reason why I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And also giving me tools to do that. Well, I would say you're one of those women for sure. Oh. Because I met you probably my first year. Yep. At the, let's see, Urban History or Labor Conference. Yeah. I think at the volunteer table. Yes. And like talk to you. And then I (laughs) don't take this the wrong way, but like, you know, you were further along and we didn't have any classes together. Sure. So I like, I remembered who you were, but not really. Right. Because you're meeting a lot of new people and you're trying to figure out who everyone is and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. But I had remembered meeting you. Yeah. And then, and you had remembered me. And then I know our friend Katie. Yes. Talked to you a lot. Yep. We are friends. And so we were like, I was in your orbit. And so oh, then yeah. you reached out to me and asked me to apply to the Humanities Clinic. Yeah. I mean, we saw each other at the AHA. Sure. And then you, and that was like amazing. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have applied to it if you hadn't like kind of asked me to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the things, and I'm happy that means a lot to me that you say that. Yeah. Because one of the things that I've made a priority as I've, worked in museums as I've worked as a teacher in higher ed now, um, Mm -hmm. either as a GTA or prior teaching experience to coming into the PhD program. Um, One of the things that I try to do is sort of cultivate that role as a mentor. And and I have maybe two or three former students of mine. Um, I worked at a community college before I applied to the PhD program okay. to get a sense of, you know, what I, yeah. if I wanted to be in a classroom, which I love it. Um, and I stay in close touch with one of them, with one of my former students there. And then another student from Wayne state who graduated is in law school now. So I really take that role as a mentor seriously mm-hmm. where they can talk to me about, anything yeah um personal professional because I think that it's so important to have that open line and Mm -hmm. to again see people that do or see other women that have done something that you want to do yeah or set a set a high bar for themselves right and then follow through and I'm really transparent with all of them too like hey like this was a struggle for me or this led me to this and this was challenging so I think that that's I try to pay it forward yeah you know I've I've definitely benefited from that. I oh, would say well, you've been successful. You. Awesome. <laughs> so it has helped me too. Now a sort of um, result of all of that is now this position I'm in as coordinator of the clinic. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm able to sort of push myself further in that role. Right, and like yeah, you're already out there talking about this thing in yep. general. Yep. So then you can talk about it specifically to people and. Things like that. Yeah, and yeah. also people that I think would, would benefit from yeah. being a clinic intern. Right. Um, and also my experience at the Smithsonian in particular, reaching out to different departments mm-hmm. and collections and curators. Because yeah. um, I was working for all 19 wow. museums and research centers. Yeah. So I had to kind of go and just cold call some people and be like, hey, do you need a volunteer? Like, can you submit a, you know, a, pr- a project? Right. And I'll work as a sort of intern broker or volunteer broker to find you somebody yeah. that's, that's Which good. Which is what you did for the clinic. Which is exactly what I yeah. did for the clinic. That's so amazing. there you go. <laughs> so you never know when that experience is right. going to come back. And I always loved it. And I always tell my husband, gosh, you know, I, if, if, you know, I probably would have stayed in that job 
forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I did want to be closer to family here. Yeah, sure. I think that that's a fine reason to yes. change your Ab- Any reason is fine as yeah. long as it's you're being true to what you really want out of right. your life and your values. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know? Because I, in the last couple of years, kind of made, like, so I think I've talked about it on the podcast, but you and I were just talking about my family lost our house to a f- fire the right the, the winter before I started graduate school. So, like, six months before wow. I started. And so that really changed, like, my decision on, like, life and, like, what I wanted. Yes. So I was very, like, thought I was, like, going to finish school and then, like, leave. But then, like, karate really helped me get through losing the house and everything, which mm-hmm. was a really hard transition. And, I, and then I got really involved with them, and now I'm, like, their third in command. And it's, like, a viable business, and they want to give it to me when they want to wow. retire. And so it's, like, why would I try to, like, live that difficult life of going to, like, New York or L.A. or, like, things I thought I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, when you're younger. Mm-hmm. When they're, they want to give this to me, I have a lot of connections here to people mm-hmm. and organizations. And, like, why struggle that hard to get just maybe maybe a job somewhere else Yep. when it can be, like, much easier to get a job here and yeah. be close to family and close to other lucrative things and, and exciting things and interesting places. Absolutely. And I've always liked to travel, so it's like I'm not going to not go anywhere else. I think that that's really wise to know yourself in that way and to know that your values are here, yeah. you know, and that your values lead, are going to end up leading you back here anyways. Right. And that's a realization that I kind of came to as I... I was like nearing the end of my 20s. Mm-hmm. I'm close with my brothers. Um, they uh, both lived here at the time. One now lives out in California, but he um, he lived here at the time when I moved back. Yeah. And we all lived together mm-hmm. um, with all of our dogs. <laughs> at one point, there was five dogs. Oh, my God. Um, but we, I liked that. I knew, yeah. you know, I liked having that. And I, and I remembered having a conversation with a, a mentor of mine, um, before moving back and, you know, you know, I was debating and it was a right. decision for me to go back to Michigan when, you know, I have built this career kind of here. Or I'm starting to at least. And, you know, she said, well, you know, if you feel that that's where you need to be, if you feel that you're going to be happiest there. Mm-hmm. And also this may be you know, one of the only chances that you have to live with your brothers again. Like, it's a very unique opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people would maybe say that that's, like, they would never want to do that. <laughs> sure. Um, and, of course, it had its challenges and whatever. But we, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. And then I met my husband, mm-hmm. you know, from there. So you met him here? I met him here. Okay. Yeah. And now we have this beautiful son. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it's like things add up. And right. And you don't know that that's what's going on right you know yeah I, exactly that's how I feel too like yeah it's kind of crazy well that's and that's how I felt with doing the clinic this yeah. summer was yeah. because I thought I was able to like I I interviewed I had a lot of interviews in a lot of random places across the country for a summer internship at an archive oh and cool lots of cool places called me back for second interviews mm-hmm. and that was really great but none of them were going all the way through mm. and so then I, you know, you asked me and you said, why haven't you applied to the clinic yet? And I was like, I didn't know that I could. And so then I did that and then I got into it and then I had a great experience. Yeah. And you were the first master's degree student. Yeah. I feel very cool. Yes, you should. (laughs) 
Uh, and that was an effort, you know, of ours to make this opportunity of the clinic um, available to a wider population at Wayne State, mm-hmm. um, or at least see how it works. Because you had some people that technically they it worked, and what they do is humanities adjacent, but maybe their degree technically isn't a humanity, like traditional humanities, too. Right. Like, communications isn't technically... We had communications this summer, and we had a sociology. Yeah. So now we've expanded... related to things that we do in the humanities. Totally. And a lot of the same skills that our communications and sociology PhD interns um, brought were very similar to what we do as historians, let's say. Right. But they also are bringing skills that we don't maybe learn in our yeah. history classrooms. And that's awesome, too, because our community partners need those skills as well. Mm-hmm. So it was an attempt to broaden our mission and really focus back on the community and what does the community need mm-hmm. and what are our community partners asking for. Right. And someone like yourself, for example, that has a background in library science. hmm you know, I don't have a background in library science. I have a lot of experience in museums and in with history and art history and gender, but I don't have library science experience. So you're able to bring a set of skills right. to our community partners that someone like myself wouldn't, wouldn't, or somebody, yeah. you know, a lot of our other history PhD students that don't have that background wouldn't. So right. I think that that was, you know, that was, this was all strategic mm-hmm. attempt to expand the clinic and yeah. make it more valuable um, and make the um, the humanities and social science skills that we're bringing to the community more um, accessible. Right. And, yeah, and translating that into real life. Absolutely. Like I said in my speech, everyone always wants to know what I'm going to do. And it's yeah. like, I don't always necessarily know what the next step is, but I always feel like I can do anything, really. And you can. Yeah. I mean, don't ask me to do a math problem, but, <laughs> but you know, you know, ask me to solve something or, like, figure out how to organize something. Like, there's a lot of organization that goes into library science and archives and develop those types of tools. Mm-hmm. I can do that and yeah. maybe do some spreadsheets. But, like, yeah, <laughs> you know. For sure. And research and all that. So, yeah, I was so happy to be asked and to, to have participated in it, and I felt really cool. Yeah. So what did you... What did you? Th- what was your favorite part of the experience, or what do you think that you were able to give back, and what do you think you gained more specifically? I guess is what I'm. I know. think that with the first placement, which was like super, super up my street, with working in a library that was inside a museum, mm-hmm. was being able because she was a librarian. The other people were like. Museum employees, different the, backgrounds. This is at the Arab American, American National, Museum. yeah, mm-hmm. National. Museum. And um, they weren't. They had this this particular thing that's the research file that existed between the space of museums, archives, and libraries, which is kind of where I exist yes. as a person. Yes, yeah. And studying all of those things, and they just were all coming at it from like their particular point. So the archivist like was like, well, it's not archival material. I don't. I can't help you. And the librarian was like, well, I don't really work with this type of, like, primary source material that's not archival worthy, but we still don't want to get rid of it. And so they they couldn't see how to, like, organize it together. So I said, and the organizational system they had, which was done well by a previous librarian, but there's a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't accessible for researchers coming in. So if you went in there 
and they said, oh, we have this research file, and you looked at that research, you wouldn't be able to find any. Right. So just being able to look at all the all three sides of everything as a researcher, as a librarian, and as an archivist, I was able to develop something that I think is really usable. Yeah. And obviously I built on what they already had done, mm-hmm. and then I reorganized it and, like, cleaned it up. And so it was, like, partial, part like, physical labor, which I like to do, like, in the files and moving things around and then part like cerebral thinking how how should this be organized what order should it be well obviously everything to do with religion needs to be put next to each other whether it's you know they had stuff about judaism stuff about christianity islam it should still all be together Mm -hmm. because you could be writing comparative papers or whatever you're researching so doing that was probably the like the best part was that piece and then with the community connections it was one of those situations where they didn't quite know what to do with me, mm-hmm. and they kind of, like, along the way came up with things, mm-hmm. but it was really nice, and I just kind of, that one I worked a lot from home for, because I didn't really need to be there. I wasn't really doing anything, like, on campus for them mm-hmm. in their office, mm-hmm. but sometimes I would go just to meet them and talk to them, sure. and that was kind of cool to see, like, how I could work remotely but still, like, understand their mission. And then they had me conduct an interview, and hopefully when they get their new website up, it'll be their, one of their first blog posts. And awesome. they really liked what I wrote for them. So that was kind of cool. And I hadn't interviewed people for something in forever. So I had, like, yeah. cold call people I didn't yeah. know and, like, ask them questions. And some of them were teenagers, so it's like you have to kind of, like, pull answers out of them. Yeah. And so that was a good skill that I gained more. Yeah, or that you revisited, that yeah. you had in there. Yeah, because, yeah, I don't think I'd interviewed – I mean – interviewed anyone except for like doing podcasts yeah but yeah calling someone and being comfortable on the phone and stuff like that which they say a lot of people my age have trouble with (laughs) yeah I think I think that this experience of doing a podcast too probably helps you yeah so you're building your own you're building a skill doing something that you love yeah it's fun and you don't even think about it right right yeah so I think and a lot of people would not would be intimidated to yeah, this is that. this is my second one. I had one for a couple years for a while, and it just kind of uh, faded. Mm-hmm. So I was happy when Allie and I and Allie and I got together and talked about it at a- AHA, and we like knew each other from grad school, but not really. Yeah, we never really, and we were both library science double people, and so that's been kind of cool to like get to know someone again, new, and like sure. be friends and interview and stuff like that. Yeah, and podcasting is something that is has come up a little bit this summer with with some of our other interns. Yeah. Um another history PhD student um worked on a project with the River Raisin Institute. That was really interesting to hear about. Developing a podcast. Yeah. And it is something that I, you know, that is where communications is going or has been going. Right. And we need to know how to use, you know, podcasting, social media mm-hmm. to communicate as historians, as social scientists, yeah. these PhDs, whatever, um, as people, mm-hmm. um, and use it in an effective way. Right. Right. So I think that that's really becoming an even more in-demand skill as yeah. we've seen because that was a huge that was that was and I project. can't imagine like listening to him talk and like this has no no one tells me what to do no one like right. you know I can go online and research on how to host a site and all that mm-hmm. but you know to come up with like a whole proposal of how they're going to write out their seasons and all that this one's a very casual podcast and we upload fairly regularly and things like that but to like develop a whole thing from scratch that's like got a purpose exactly. and for an organization exactly that's a whole different 
yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, so that was really cool. Yeah, and one of the things that we've talked about that we that we talked about when we had our sort of final roundup on Friday with mm-hmm. all of the interns was having a sort of toolkit for humanities clinic interns. Oh yeah. So that let's say you uh, your archival project with the Arab American National Museum, you could have sort of a checklist of what you did to get mm-hmm. them organized uh, or to organize something considering three different perspectives as you oh, were talking yeah. about. You could just have some sort of template that you could share with future interns. Right. Um, having some sort of clearinghouse, yeah. like a Google Drive or a mm-hmm. OneDrive or something. Um, so that was something that that came up, which I think would be really yeah. helpful for students who are writing grants for organizations next right. summer or working on a podcast mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, an archival research project, right? Um, so that's an idea, too, that we have for helping interns going forward. Yeah. Which might be useful. I like that because the clinic was started, what, this is its third summer? This is the third summer of the Humanities Clinic. It started in 2017 mm-hmm. with an NEH um, next-gen PhD grant. Right. That was an initiative by the National Endowment for the Humanities to, it was their career diversity sort of counterpart, um, the AHA's career diversity uh, initiative, and then this was the next-gen through the NEH. They... Uh, funded the first two summers of the clinic. Okay. Um, and this summer was funded, that grant ran out. This summer was funded by the American Historical Association, mm-hmm. the Graduate School at Wayne State, the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, the History Department, and the English Department. Okay. Um, Wayne State University Press has also in the past kicked in money. Mm-hmm. And we pay interns out of that pool of money okay. from all of those uh, sponsors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the interns can work uh, free of charge for our nonprofit community partners. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of our one of the things we're considering doing going forward in order to sustain the clinic, that's mm-hmm. my main focus right now is sustaining this. Yeah. Because it's such an incredible resource for the community. Right. And for Wayne State graduate students. Yeah. From we worked with eight uh stu- twelve graduate interns from eight different departments this summer. You just yeah, and you don't see a lot of in general in the world like programs like that. Right. Like it's great. It's definitely um, one of the goals of the Career Diversity Initiative through the AHA is to use your whole university, Mm -hmm. the entire university. And that's something that I have kind of kept at the forefront of my brain while I've been the Career Diversity Fellow. Yeah. Is how can I reach out to other places, groups, departments on campus? And this was a really great way that had already begun, started before me. Um, but I took that idea and sort of ran with it. Mm-hmm. And like you s- said, you know, we reached out and now we have social sciences. Um, we're now working with master's degree students. Yeah. Um, so using the whole university, um, we borrow a lot of our um, a lot of our organizational uh, sort of methods for the clinic on a legal clinic. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my next steps will be sort of getting to know how the um, immigration law clinic at Wayne State is run. Okay. Um, Because that's a really amazing um, resource for the community, too. And I want to know, you know, how are they they doing that? Right. The reason I know 
more about it than other things that, you know, Wayne State is doing is my husband was an immigration uh, law clinic intern when he oh, was okay. when he was a law student at Wien State. Oh, okay. Very um, cool. Now he has his own immigration law firm. Yeah. So, um, you know, and he got good mentoring there. And But I want to know how they, you know, their practices, best practices for right. running a clinic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the clinic is um, in its third, in its third summer. Okay. Yep. Cool. I'm, I'm checking uh, Allie's questions because I yeah. usually come in very casually and just like talk. Yeah. But Allie has always has written questions. So oh. I'm, I'm channeling Allie right now. Making okay. Sure no. I, yes. I've touched on what she wanted Absolutely. to ask Absolutely. Yeah. She's here in spirit. Yes. Um, here's one. Okay. We'll, um, we'll stay on this topic and then we'll circle back to some others. Sure. So this was her very important question. It says Got it. most important in all caps. Okay. Okay. So this is, um, and, and again, this is, you know, she hasn't been here listening to what you've been talking about. So she didn't sure. know anything that you just said okay. yet. So Got she it. said, um, I feel it's a little late for some students to be entering museums and archives and thinking about them as career paths mm. at the PhD point. No. So um, wouldn't it be more valuable to approach MA students or, and then another way you could think of the question she asked was, um, why is the program directed at PhD students? more than MA students? That's a really good question. Um, well, one I can of the guess re- at some answers, but I yes, want to hear what okay. you Okay, so to say. one of the reasons, obvious, is this was begun with the NEH Next Gen PhD yeah. grant, where it was targeted at career diversity, which means basically getting PhD students transferable job skills that they can then take out into the workforce mm-hmm. uh, and get, you know, build a meaningful career for themselves, whether it's inside of academia or not. Right. Okay, so there's that. Um, the funding, you know, stipulated that it was right. intended for PhD students. Um, the Career Diversity Initiative also mainly targeted at, I mean, at least what we're doing in the, our funding from AHA is targeted mostly at the PhD level, but um, we have, you know, as we as we discussed, mm-hmm. we have branched out now. And yeah. We are talking about um, MA students um, from all of the humanities and social science departments. Right. Well, and I would venture to say AHA as a national organization Absolutely. is thinking nationally what they the are. programs look like. Wayne is unique in that it has, before it had the public history, it had a terminal master's. And not, I would say most other universities do not. Mm-hmm. Some people might leave early and sure. end up with a master's. Yep. But most programs are not terminal at master's level. Like, that's right. Because you can, I, I'm going to be leaving Wayne with a master's. Yep. I was never in the PhD program. That's right. And so I think that when they're thinking about that on like a global macro level, mm-hmm. they're not seeing those programs as much. Right. But I wonder if maybe they're on the rise or not. I don't know. Yeah. I think that it's, you know, I certainly had a lot of cool opportunities as an MA student. Yeah. Right? So my all of my museum experience Aside from uh, more recently, I worked on the Detroit 67 project mm-hmm. at the Detroit Historical Museum. That was as a PhD student intern. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that, all of my work in museums was with my MA or while I was getting my MA. Yeah. Um, and I think that it is an interesting question and just thinking very practically, like, you know, is someone that's, you know, finishing a PhD or in the middle of a PhD... Um, is that too late to be thinking? You know, it depends because a lot of jobs, you know, that a PhD student might be applying for um, that would require 
right? Mm -hmm. Um, A PhD, you have to have it in order to get the job, right? Or if, um, if if the qualification is a master's degree, PhD is preferred... You know, it just depends, I think, on the types of jobs that you're going for after. Right. Um, But it is a good question, and it is something that we've thought about, and hence our recent expansion um, into the the MA Mm -hmm. um, pool at Wayne State. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, and speaking, like, so I grew up in Metro Detroit. My mom went to Wayne State Mm -hmm. and stuff, so... You know, I was very excited to see the double program, but like traditionally, I also think, and maybe this is not true, but I took it to believe historically that a terminal master's program like this were for mainly for teachers who maybe mm-hmm. didn't want the MA in like education. They wanted the MA in their subject field. Sure. And so that's where it kind of is my belief that it developed from. Mm-hmm. And then, but now you see a lot of people that get their bachelor's degrees and they're you know, not finding the jobs they want mm-hmm. or the jobs that they want, they need a master's yeah. to have, to yeah. do. Um, in my case, like, I was looking at a lot of jobs in museums and libraries, and I was like, oh, I can do those things. I have skills from my undergrad, but they require this other thing. Yeah. And it took me a little while to figure that out and sure. like, realize what I wanted to do. And yes. So I think I do think that in academia and the job, it's changing a lot. Yeah, always. And, you know, I know people that have gone for their Ph.D. while they were working their mm-hmm. job in the museum, and that would, would have been maybe an option for me if I had stayed yeah. at the Smithsonian. You know, I thought about that there, too. You know, I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do the Ph.D., Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, that was something I kicked around while I was still there, even. And I could have done it, mm-hmm. you know, could have, but um, it's just unique for every different you know everybody yeah. is just how many how long were you working before you came mm-hmm. back to grad to the phd to the phd okay let's see so i started working at the smithsonian in 2008 i think and i finished the the my master's that following spring in 2009 and then I started, and then I worked, and I started the PhD here at Wayne State in 2014. Okay. So, a few, five, six years. Yeah. And then I was teaching, too. Yeah, no, I like to, I like to hear that, because, like, a lot of people, I mean, assume for a long time that I have, that I am a PhD student. Yeah. And, which I don't mind in some ways. I won an award for karate this year, mm-hmm. an, an international award of, like, a recognition one. Uh-huh. Um, not for, like, fighting or anything. Right. But um, they, they, what, something got lost in translation sure. in my nomination paperwork, mm-hmm. and they described me as a PhD candidate, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> sure. Because, like, I know I'm not. And then <laughs> this guy that I'd been talking to at seminars was, like, he was a PhD, he was a professor of, like, art history. Yeah. So he was like, oh, are you really a PhD student? I was like, well, I'm a master's student. And they just, like, made a mistake. Sure. He's like, oh, no, that's fascinating. And yeah, so it was yeah. kind of cool to, like, karate of all yeah. things. And then he's, like, a professor at a university in Texas. Sure, but, yeah. But, um... So, like, I always, like, kind of make a point of being, like, oh, no, I'm a master's student. But I also it's also in the back of my mind that, like, maybe I'll want to do it. But I would really like to, like, make money and, and like, have, like, a jo- You know, yes. I'm not saying any job that I get is going to make me oodles and oodles of money. Sure. But I would like to work for a little while first. Well, one of the things that I did before starting the Ph.D. was save. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's a really, really smart thing to do. At least for me, it gave me a lot of... 
um, confidence and a little bit more flexibility so Mm -hmm. that, you know, the first year of the PhD, the second year, every year, it's intense, right? It's intense work. It's uh, especially when you finish coursework and you lose that sort of, not totally, and I have a lot more of it probably in the various roles that I, um, in the various hats that I wear in the department. Um, But it is isolating. And once you lose that collegiality that you get in your coursework, which was really the most fun part, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I just, I love taking classes. Me too. Me too. And you miss that when you file a prospectus and you're done and now you're dissertating, you know, you're dissertating. Um, Especially like as a new mom, you know, I was all further, right? Isolated, right? Because I I really couldn't, like, I had a January, my son was born in January (laughs) and it was freezing and I really couldn't leave. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, you know, I missed that. So I think that, um, yeah, anyways. So, yeah, I like talking to people and figuring out, like, what the path they took. Yeah, and and the path is going to be different for everybody. And I think that it's so, um, yeah, I think it's so important to do it the way that you want to do it. For me, I needed to get out of the classroom after the MA, go work, you know, get professional experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that teaching is absolutely professional experience. It's the best experience I've ever had working. Um, and some of the most fun too, mm-hmm. but I needed work outside of the classroom yeah. in order for me to really develop what I wanted to do and get right. a sense. And I'm still, we're still figuring, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Right. Um, so, um, getting a sense of what my skills, you know, and, and also what my weak spots are too, you know, right. as a professional person. Mm-hmm. So getting all of that, all of that different experience in and yeah. out of the classroom helped me so that when I went back and also I had saved some money when <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not talking about a lot of money. No, yeah, no, <laughs> Just I, some, enough to like something, yeah. have a nice car and like a reliable car, I guess right. I should say. Um, and be able to maybe take a couple of, you know, trips just right. during a, you know, not anything extravagant, yeah. but just to be able to visit friends in other cities um, and not have to like, you know, be constantly panicking about right. about finances. So that was that was what I needed to do. Some people it, it works out differently. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely, I kind of took two a year and a half in between undergrad and then coming to the master's program, right. and I like needed that. Yeah, and so yeah, I don't think I'll ever. I th- think eventually it might happen, but not yet. I'm just not there yet yeah despite what everyone else thinks I wasn't there until I was um until let's see there was like nine years between my Mm. my bachelor between finishing my bachelor's degree and starting my PhD yeah and you didn't um did you feel any pressure like to go back did anyone feel you feel like anyone was pressuring you to go back were people People like "Uh, don't go back um (laughs) Um, Why are you doing history? What is wrong with you? Was there no, any of that? No. That's good. No, I'm really lucky. You know, when I started college, I actually went thinking I wanted to do journalism, mm-hmm. thinking I actually want to do broadcast journalism. Okay. Okay, so that's kind of why I ended up at Syracuse. And yeah. then I ended up doing print journalism, which I loved, because I loved interviewing and talking to people. Mm-hmm. And then picked up art history along the way because I just was fascinated by it and loved um, social history and how that could be applied to paintings and sculpture and architecture right? and um, the biographical approach and how you could learn psychoanalysis and how you could learn so much about 
like artists and yeah yeah and I love that stuff it, yeah and the the biggest thing the the real sort of linchpin that got, that got me that really drew me in was how you could apply gen you know, theories related to gender mm-hmm. and sexuality to paintings my cat just came out of the closet oh hi <laughs> um, how you could apply those theories to art okay. and artists and that just that's kind of how I got to you know, doing writing what I'm writing about now. Yeah. So, what what yeah. are you writing about? So, What's what I'm your, writing about now because you're not getting a PhD in art history. No, you're getting a PhD in history. In history. Yes, and that again, you know, that's a really um, that's a really sort of interesting turn that that I took as well. Um, I had, you know, I had gone to other and visited other PhD programs. And I really got a good feeling. I don't know that sounds cliche, but I had a really good feeling after I met with my current advisor and the current department chair, okay, who was the DGS at the time. Um, and I just had, I just felt like this is a place where I'm going to be supported. Mm-hmm. This is a place where they're interested in my work and what I want to do, and they see the potential. Yeah, and they're going to be good mentors. I just had that feeling yeah. that I didn't have um, necessary. Not- I just didn't have that feeling as strongly at other places. Mm-hmm. I had it, but maybe not as strongly, or I didn't have it at all at some places. Yeah. Um, so I am writing about this group of women, this network of women that founded the Freer Gallery of oh, Art okay. in D.C. Yeah. Which I actually got this sort of the seed for that, uh, for this dissertation, when I was working at the Smithsonian. And I would go on my lunch breaks next door. I worked in the Smithsonian Castle on mm-hmm. the third floor, yeah, which was so cool. <laughs> and then I would go next door oftentimes um, to the Freer Gallery and walk around on my lunch breaks. Um, and I learned that Charles Lang Freer, who founded the museum or who was the, you know, the gave the money mm-hmm. and the art, um, he was from Detroit. Yeah. He mm-hmm. lived in Detroit. So he was from Kingston, New York, but ended up in Detroit for work. And I then started finding out much later when I was a PhD student that it was actually a group of women who did a lot of the work to establish this museum. Okay. Because he was long dead by the time that it was actually opened. Okay. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm poking around a lot of different archives and it's really awesome work and I'm getting a sense of what it was like to be a cultural leader and a woman in the early 1900s. Right. And that's... Like right in with um, the history of museums and archives and his like societies, historical societies, they were all women. A lot know. of women, yes. Yeah, they. That's who were our cultural keepers. Yeah, yeah, and there are some scholars that are saying, well, you know, and I and I agree to an extent that it it was and it still remains men in positions in the top positions. Right, glass elevator. Yes. Mm-hmm. So women are doing there are. A greater number, maybe, of women employees and museum in education departments, yeah. even in curatorial departments. Right. Um, but it's men in directorial positions. Yeah, I'll have to hit you up because that's what I, we finally figured out what my master's essay would be on. Okay. And it's going to be about um, the like, I don't know, the idea that when you think of a librarian, what do you yep. think? Oh, my other cat came out too. Gosh, how many cats? <laughs> Just two. This is like the. <laughs> The clown car at the circus. <laughs> yeah, they, I never know they're in there. There's going to be like twenty cats. Out. This is Hi, that's Katie. Sherlock. Oh, perfect. and the other is Holmes. What? Oh. <laughs> um, but about 
like the fact that when you think of when we today we think of women like librarian you you probably conjure your image of a librarian as a woman Mm -hmm. maybe like an older woman you know maybe telling you to be quiet you know those images in modern society and so like where does that come from and how did so many women decide to choose that path in their careers of like because they're stewards and safekeepers of knowledge and information. For sure. And, you know, you think about computer science has a lot of ties to librarianship and, mm-hmm. like, cataloging mm-hmm. and all of those things, and there's been women there the whole time. But, mm-hmm. you know, we only just now have our first female librarian of Congress. Yeah. And she's African-American. And so, like, what... I don't have all my questions figured out yet. But. That's Okay. That's kind of what I'm looking at is kind of the history and like how women ended up in those in that field. And so um, Dr. Fa was telling me about, you know, a book about nursing and how women ended up becoming nurses mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. how I could maybe use that to like figure yeah. it out well, for librarians. I will have a very uh, long bibliography that you can pick and Great. choose books and Just articles what I from. need. You, yeah, yes. I, I will have it. Thank I'm compiling you. it as I, I mean, as I write, yeah. I'm finding more and more and more things. Good, because um, I could use all the help I can get. Yes, I'm happy to help. <laughs> I, I love talking about that. I love yeah. talking about it um, and teaching other people about yeah. it is the best way for me to solidify Good. my ideas. Good. Feel free to email me, call me, because <laughs> I, I told myself I would give my advisor mm-hmm. and I need to contact. He said to, I should maybe ask someone from the Library Science School to be the second reader, so I need to contact that, that person. That would be smart, yeah. But um, I told myself, I gave myself, like, early October, I would have, like, an initial bibliography, because, like, my writing time will be next semester, and then I want to be done. And like graduate. Yeah, that's I a good goal, and you wanna, can totally do it. Yeah, I don't want to draw it out. I've already been in school for a two-year degree for four years. So. Yeah, and I mean setting those goals, I totally understand because as a you know with PhD, it is such a long-term project. Yeah, and the 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 cool thing about it is that there are milestones along the way. It's not just like start a PhD and then just like finish whenever. It's like it's very regimen in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um so you know you you do your courses you prepare your lists for your comprehensive exams you do your reading then you take the exams yeah and then you work on your prospectus and then you file a prospectus or you have your committee meeting and actually having a child it through you know in the middle of all of this yeah that's wild i um my son was born just about a week or two maybe not even two full weeks after I gave the graduate school my prospectus okay. and my committee members all signed up. So I was nine months pregnant, almost nine months pregnant, big belly. Yeah. And, um, running around getting signatures <laughs> and we had my committee meeting over the phone because there was a big snowstorm. Yeah. And my advisor, um, wisely said, you know, I don't think it's good, good for you to be driving downtown right, yeah. nine months pregnant in yeah, a snowstorm. So right. she was very, Smart. Smart. <laughs> I was, I was. You were so committed on the goal. You I was. Like, I'm gonna do this. I was pretty fearless, pregnant. I mean, I, I if I haven't, you know, if I ever do that again, if I yeah, have yeah. another child, I don't think that. I mean, we, my husband and I traveled to Europe. <laughs> we, um, I, my water broke on a treadmill at the gym. Oh so I mean, I was really just 
nonstop. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. My sister was like that, too. She yeah. did yoga all, all, oh, yeah. all the way up until she, like, basically gave birth. Yeah, I did it all, yeah. yeah. And I, I just can't stop moving. Yeah. Like, so I think that that is, that was a good thing for me mm-hmm. because it pushed me to get that prospectus done. Then my son was born, and then um, I I was true. I was ABD. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. I was done with yeah. all of the the jumping through all of the hoops. Right and now, it's just writing. Yeah. And I always knew long before I was pregnant. Um, I knew that once I get to that point of ABD and I'm writing, I am mm-hmm. somebody that can work without a lot of supervision. That can okay. stick to deadlines that I set for myself. Yeah. That can come through on a lot of things and deliver. Um, so I knew that I had it in me to do that mm-hmm. portion of it. It was just getting through all of the... Yeah, and that's what they say. I remember yeah. we, with the HGSA, have lots of talks about different things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's always talked about that. Yeah, for me, thinking about the PhD, like, mm-hmm. I've really liked a lot of my closest friends in grad school have been PhD students. Yeah. And things. And the thing that freaks me out is, like, not going to, not the going to school part. It's the idea of, like, coming up with your own research. Like, I kind of like being told, like, what to do and for research. Sure. And so, like, oh, you give me that task, I'll do it. Um, so, like, the idea of coming up with something on your own is, like... But I can see, like, you talking about what you did and that you were working somewhere and then you saw this thing and it interested you. I can foresee maybe in the future that happening to me something. Yeah, and it, and it didn't, it wasn't as if I went to the Freer Gallery, you know, while working uh, and got this idea and then jumped right into the PhD, right? Right, yeah. So when I moved back to Detroit, totally unrelated to the PhD, you know, I just wanted to teach and I wanted to be in my family. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And I, through my teaching, started taking groups of students to the DIA. Oh, yeah. started taking groups of students, actually, to the, I taught um, history of Asian art. Uh Uh-huh. So Freer was a collector of Asian art. Yeah. um, And I started taking my students to the Freer house. Uh Uh-huh. And then I got to know the folks that worked there. And that was really informative, and that gave me some really cool ideas for the dissertation, too, that I have... Just having that knowledge and really becoming an expert on, um, or at least on, I'm on my way, I think, to becoming maybe an expert on part of Freer's life. Yeah, yeah. His, his relationship with these women. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a work in progress for many, many years. And it was a very organic process. It yeah. wasn't like I was like, I got to learn everything. I, you know, it was very like, this just interests me. This is really beautiful. Or this is really cool. Yeah. I like the, you know, I like spending time in this, this house. It's, yeah. And I, and I just got a lot out of that experience of just organically sort of That's learning. That's really cool. Yeah. As okay. I lived. Because I think sometimes, um, you're able to talk about how that process worked for you. And sometimes I'll interview people or I'll talk to people or go to talks and people are like, oh, I just ended up in this job. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. I, yeah, <laughs> and, but, and, and you're like, okay, I get that maybe you met someone. Or, and sometimes I can understand the story. And, and like some people are very lucky. But for the most part, I do get that from a lot of people. And it's a lot of times it's men that are incapable of explaining to me how they got wherever they are. And women are much better at being like, oh, this, you know, this is the journey that I took. And then I met this person that told me about this internship. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's how things happen. You meet someone, you talk to them, they expose you to something, you go somewhere, you know. It's half, Half the time I go to talks or whatever and people are like, oh, yeah, 
I'm just the CEO or whatever they are of this <laughs> right. thing. Good for it you. It just happened. Right. No, like, I don't. That understand. doesn't happen. And and I think that I think that that there is a, a push to demystify the process of how people ended up where they are. Yeah. And that it's really not, I've said in a lot of workshops and things like that through my career diversity fellowship where we talk about how it's really not useful and even right kind of discouraging yeah. to hear that because yeah. it's like well. If it's just luck, then what am I going to do? Just sit back, you know what I mean? Right. It's not. I mean, my. I'm fortunate. There's there's certainly a lot of things, you know, that I've been. I guess you could call them lucky, but, you know, I've also, you know, had a lot of ups and downs where right. you know that that led me to where I am now, and now I'm at a place where I feel, like real. I can say with confidence, like I'm where I need to be. Right. Um. But along the way, I also felt like that in small, you know, it's, yeah. you say like, what is it? Well, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I think some people don't want to say, or they forget, maybe they forget sometimes. Maybe, yeah. But like, no, I worked really hard for this. Like, yeah. this was a struggle. It is. And, you know, or like, I, you know, made the decision to do it this way because that was financially responsible exactly. for me or whatever the reasoning is for whatever you do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be close to my family. So that's how I ended up at this university. And then I met this person and then they connected me to this. Like there's all, all these reasons behind stuff. Yeah. Something that I like to focus on and that um, we, we use the Imagine PhD website, that mm-hmm. resource, which anybody could u- use really. Yeah. And you take a series of, um, surveys and it kind of gives you a list of your your you know top five skills Mm -hmm. your top five values and the values thing really stood out to me and I was like Mm -hmm. this makes complete sense to me this is sort of just like an algorithm kicking back to me what I already knew or how I've already been living my life but it it really says there on paper that these are my values and that's what's informed my, my decisions right not you know Maybe some things that they're chasing uh, a lucr, you know, a really lucrative job. Okay, right, that's right. fine. That's their, maybe that's the that's their top priority. Or people who, you know, just just want to be with family and they don't want to, you know, ever leave that. That that's mm-hmm. fine too. You know, um, or if it's um, any number of things, yeah. right? Their values are informing their decisions, right? And. That's something that I th- I hope will be articulated more and more as mm-hmm. people are asked, what is your, like, how did you get there? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe not everybody will come at it like that. Or they don't think about it. Maybe their values didn't inform, but that's what I tend to, that's how I see it. Yeah. No, I like that. All right. I got another question related to that. Um, okay. Allie wanted to know, okay. how did you get involved with the AHA and the position you have through them? Okay, yeah, good question. Okay, so I am going into my sixth year of the PhD program at Wayne State, so I'm a history PhD candidate, and when I was, I had just had my son in January of 2018, the history department had applied for an AHA career diversity grant, Mm -hmm. and they got it, and my advisor messaged me that there was a Right before they kind of knew if they were going to get it, I had just come home from the hospital with my son, and she said, hey, you know, just so you know, like, we did apply for this. I can't promise anything yet. You know, I'm just letting you know, um, because one of the things that I was um, going to be required to do would, would be to travel to D.C. for uh, basically, like, a week-long orientation, mm-hmm. several days long. I think it was three or four days. 
and she knew that I would have a baby and yeah. that I was breastfeeding. So, um, so that's what we ended up, we, we ended up going, I mean, mm-hmm. all of us ended up going, but that she basically, um, the department selected the career diversity fellow okay. and I was it. And that's okay. So they got, the department got to select their person they did. that yeah. existed already. Exactly. It, it wasn't like you had to apply to the A. They applied for the grant. Exactly. And then they selected, then they selected their okay. person. Okay. Yeah. And, and other departments. So there's 19 other career diversity fellows across the country. Mm-hmm. Really uh, people doing really cool work. Um, Really amazing people. We get to meet every six to 12 months okay. in various cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and their their process for becoming the fellow in their department might have been different. Yeah. Some fellows um, changed um, after the first 12 months. Okay. So it's a two-year fellowship. Okay. But... Um, you, you know, did such a good job, they weren't going to kick you out. Oh, no. They're not kicking <laughs> me out. No. They and so... They can't get rid of me. Having that position is how you became coordinator to the humanities yeah. club because they're kind of related and exactly. have some. Exactly, okay. very related. So part of the career diversity initiative is um, at Wayne State now. Since the next gen PhD grant, um, you know that was done, um, we wanted to keep the clinic going, and the AHA is funding part of the clinic. Okay. Um, That's great. Yeah, I was um, you know asked to to coordinate it this summer and. I reviewed the report from last last year mm-hmm. that um, that a former PhD student who who got a tenure track job actually in Texas, um, Joe. He had run it for two the first two summers. I read his report and then I sort of just took my own ideas into this summer and told the chair and my advisor um, what I wanted to do and how I thought yeah. that we could make it bigger and better. Um, and Joe had done a fantastic job. Um, uh, and I wanted to, to sort of bring my own ideas to it and strategize okay. how we can make it more sustainable, make yeah. it bigger, help more people in the community while getting graduate students those transferable job skills. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I can ask you our final fun two questions that we ask everyone. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, what have you been binge watching or watching lately on television? Okay. So I was never a big TV person. Okay. So I, this is like maybe kind of a maybe a boring fun answer, <laughs> um, but whatever I watch on TV now is pretty much whatever my son is watching. Okay. I, so think he, I had a strong feeling you might say that. Really? Yeah. So he's twenty months old, and we watch a lot of Sesame Street. Okay. And fun. it's so good. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't watch it for whatever thirty something years, and then you see it, and it's like this is really smart. Yeah. Smart television. Um, and then we watch um, the past few days, he's gotten into this thing called Super Simple Songs. Okay. Which is nursery rhymes with like cartoons and puppets. Mm-hmm. Loves it. He's just transfixed by it. We try to limit screen time. <laughs> sure. And but yeah. Sometimes you can't or you need, you just kind of need it. Well, yourself. I work from home. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm answering emails or whatever, yeah. you know, that sometimes the TV is on. We prefer outside time versus screen green time but mm-hmm. um but super simple songs and <laughs> sesame street are big hits at our house right now nice um so maybe not maybe like a more fun answer but also boring for me i guess but that's cute yes what about what have you been reading what have i been reading honestly anything fun or just stuff for work and research okay 
So I have two answers. Okay. So I'm reading um, right now a collection of essays from the 1990s to sort of gain some. It's about women and cultural leadership. Oh, okay. Um, that's foundational stuff for the dissertation, right? Yeah. Um, and then I'm also reading, this is super random, Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Which I always have to be honest, like kind of like made fun of my husband for like liking the movies uh-huh. and the you know, we have we have all the books. Yeah. But I think I was just so maxed out, you know, like just reading historical scholarship yeah. for I mean really I haven't read for fun in years. Okay. So I picked this up. It was just on the table and I just started reading and I was like, this is really, really creative yeah. and amazing that this guy built this world. world yeah it's fascinating yeah so i love it it's fun Good. and it's you know i'm i think i'm only on page like 60 um <laughs> but you're but, loving it but i'm you loving ever read it the hobbit or did you just start with lord of the rings lord of the rings okay yeah i know right. i kind of want to read the hobbit now <laughs> you can go back you i think i can go back hobbit, yeah. but it's so amazing that someone created this world and like reading you know reading how fiction can be built like this and yeah. creative and and he's so you can see all the historical parallels that he pulls and, absolutely. and the language that he used. I mean he was a linguist and yeah no wonder people love yeah. love it there's right? no re- yeah there's no wonder in the, yeah the language is amazing he made up so my husband and I talk about you know how there's a lot of like Norse influence oh and, yeah yeah um the actual like geography that he's writing about mm-hmm. and like how that was modeled on actual spaces maybe. yeah so I don't pretend to be, like, a scholar of, um, you know, any of this, but (laughs) I do think that it's good to have that outlet and to to read things, to watch things, to create things. I love cooking. That's sort of my TV, I think, probably. Just, like, doing something with my hands Mm -hmm. that isn't in front of a screen. Yeah. I I need that, and I also, um, I run. Okay. So that's always been sort of an outlet for me. Yeah. So... Uh, let's see, what have I been watching? Um, the last couple times we've in, been interviewing, I've been still working my way through True Blood again. And I'm a big TV person. Okay. Like, the way to my heart is through television. Oh, okay, I'll okay. watch almost anything. Okay. Um, I've been rewatching, I've just been rewatching stuff because it's very comforting to just like, you know what the plot is and just relaxing. And this summer I've read a lot because I, I didn't take any classes. And then okay. I ended up with the fellowship and then an internship. So I yeah. ended up working four jobs this summer, which was crazy for me. But I didn't have any classes. So yeah. I've just been reading a lot of fiction and rom-com fiction is what I like to call it. And I'm listening to this Harry Potter books. I've never listened to them. I've, re- I've read them hundreds of times. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I'm a huge fan. But I've never read a single one of them. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> Lily. I know. You've got to read Harry Potter. I know. My husband has said this. I <laughs> I just... You'll like it. If you like Lord of the Rings, I mean, it's it's not... They're very, very different. But, like, she creates a great world. Yeah, creating and, and, a world, yeah. Yeah, she That's does amazing. a really good job, and uh, she's got lots of parallels and stuff you'll find, and you'll, you'll see a lot of stuff. I think as my son gets older, my husband and him will bond over these things yeah. so i will want to, to read them too yeah or be having good a to read child you know as a family a lot exactly. of families i know read what else have i been reading oh i just picked up um i went to a used bookstore and picked up a collection of shalom alekum stories and oh stuff, which, um because my first big paper that i got published in undergrad was about the pale of settlement in oh. eastern europe and Whoa. like i argued that there was a jewish nation in all but name there 
And so um, my dad loves talking to me about that, and um, we're Jewish, and so he's always talking about like Jewish folk tales and Shalom Aleichem. So wow, he was really happy I picked up that book. And That's really it. interesting. Yeah. So the it was a you said without a name they didn't have yeah, a name so because it was just it was couldn't. called the pale okay. and stuff and that's like the the term beyond the pale comes from that and so um the czar in russia forced all the jews out to live there and so it's this like strip of eastern europe between like the two um between like some russia and then when you're getting into western europe and then germany and then into the north you kind of have like kind of like the polish lands and Mm -hmm. they all lived in there and that's where my father's family is originally from and it's not that far removed my dad is fairly old to have a child my age and so his father who i never met but had like has had memories of like living in the shtetl in that area yeah and like the cossacks coming through and like jokingly pretending to like slice their neck with their swords and stuff so it's like really fairly closely connected to like my family history yeah and so i learned about it in a german history class in undergrad wow and then i was like oh but like they had trade they had educational boards they had like they had debates about what language they would speak would it be yiddish or russian or or like and all this stuff but like they they couldn't exist as a nation because they were jews and the, yeah, but they I were see. forced to live in one geographical area. Yeah. And so that's what I wrote that paper on. That's super interesting. My husband is from Poland. Mm-hmm. And when we went back a few years ago when I was pregnant, yeah. um, <laughs> there was, there's, you can see remnants of the Jewish community in all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And one of the most fascinating things that I always talk about, um, that they grew up with, it was a Jewish cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, I think the earliest um, headstone, uh, the date on it was 16, 1630, mm-hmm. 1635. Yeah. And that was so mind-blowing to me, somebody that grew up in Royal Oak, Michigan, you know, yeah. where it's like... 1800s is really right, old. Right. Um, that was fascinating to me and how they had grown up with this just down the street from them. And it wasn't, you know, it was just part of... Right. Growing up there, yeah. there was there had been all of this, um, you know, intermixing, yeah, um, long, long time ago, right? Um, so it was that was really interesting to me, yeah. And then there was, of course, uh, like a Jewish ghetto in Warsaw, which mm-hmm. we also went and visited, yeah, outside of there. Mm-hmm. And my husband and his brother are really knowledgeable about. Um, they had a really did a really good job with him growing up teaching them the history oh, of yeah. Europe and I mean antiquity I mean to the present and right. it's amazing that they know so much about their their country their heritage yeah. and I thought that that was just so fascinating so I've done a little bit of digging around in their genealogical records mm-hmm. and like their heritage and things like that just to sort of see some things but <laughs> that's yeah so it's fascinating yeah so you have to go I know I need to go because I yeah it, I like I still like that paper even though I People probably would argue with me about it now, but I was an undergrad when I wrote it. Well, whatever, stuff, you go but, back and you revise it. Yeah, that's what you I, write your PhD on. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you go back. So, um, yeah, I've always liked that. And then my mother's, my father's mother was from. She was Jewish, but she was from from um, Russia uh-huh. and from uh, like there was just different. She was very cosmopolitan, and, and then they came over here and met here before World War Two and stuff like that. Wow. But, my dad was born in 42. Yeah, you would really get a 
you know, a sense, I mean, being Jewish, I'm not, Yeah. Um, going there. And I mean, if I was able to go in and just be just, I was really fascinated by these cemeteries and like, yeah. it was just a really cool um, experience. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that you would, if you could go back and you could experience that right. yourself, it would be really meaningful. Yeah. No. Yeah. I've, I've never been to Eastern Europe. I've always wanted to go. I've only ever been Western Europe. European countries and yeah. stuff. So you gotta go one day, one day. Maybe we'll take the podcast. We'll go. Over yes. There. We'll do some do yes. some interviews with yes. some European archivists. That would be amazing. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. Let me make sure that you answered all of Allie's questions. Yes, I do not want to upset. <laughs> I do not want to upset. Um, I think you basically covered all of them. Okay, good. She can she can yell at me if that's not. She true. can always email me. If she has follow-up questions. Yeah. Well, she's really into, like, the idea of, like, interning and, like, getting job experience. Yeah. She did more of that than probably anyone else, like, in our program. Great. You know? So she's always up to talk about that. She can always talk to me about it. I love talking about that and anything else. All right. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yeah.